Welcome to Going Further and Higher, Shakespeare Martineau's podcast in which we discuss topical or indeed long-running themes in higher and further education. My name is Smita Jamdar and I'm partner and head of education at Shakespeare Martineau. In a break from tradition, I'm flying solo in today's podcast to look at recent developments relating to freedom of speech, academic freedom and the government's flagship legislation to protect both of these things, the Higher Education Freedom of Speech Bill. The bill was back in Parliament last week with a raft of new amendments, most of which luckily did not survive. From my point of view, the most egregious of these was the one proposed by John Hayes and Tom Hunt. It proposed that the Equality Act should be amended so that, in effect, the harassment provisions no longer applied to anything that occurred in the context of an academic discussion. The reason this was, in my view, a very dangerous amendment was because the harassment provisions in the Equality Act are already drafted in a way that it is extremely difficult to claim that the discussion of even the most controversial or disturbing of subjects could amount to harassment. However, there might indeed be exceptional circumstances where a person is objectively entitled to feel harassed. For example, the deliberate or persistent use of, say, racial slurs or sexist comments or deliberate and persistent misgendering where the law allows for the balance to tip the other way. And in my view, it's entirely right and proper that it should do so. The university's minister was, in fairness, alive to this, and she made the point in the debate that these concerns address the Equality Act as people think it is, rather than what it actually says. And I think what this reveals is that it's really important for universities to ensure that the Act is understood and applied properly. And the effect of not doing that, the effect of not being clear about what the uh, Equality Act actually requires, is that we've seen some sustained attacks on really important interventions which are designed to address inequality on campuses on the argument that they're inimical to free speech and or academic freedom. So things like the Stonewall Diversity Champions Scheme, the Advanced HE Race Equality Charter and Athena Swan have all hit the headlines recently uh, as being examples where freedom of speech or academic freedom freedom is unreasonably under threat. And the difficulty, I think, for me is that this really risks a double whammy for uh, our students from um, minority backgrounds on campus. Uh, So last week, we saw the launch of the Advanced HE EPI Student Academic Experience Survey for the year. And for the first time, they'd actually asked students questions that explored whether they felt there was a problem around self-censorship or freedom of speech at their university. And what was interesting about that was by far the majority of students felt there was no problem uh, and felt comfortable expressing viewpoints that others might not agree with. But Uh, It was clear that students from particular minority backgrounds, especially ethnicity was the analysis there, were less likely to feel able to express their views uh, or indeed to have um, a variety of subjects studied that matched um, their kind of backgrounds and made the curriculum inclusive and diverse for them. And so... The fact that minority students already feel less able to explore and express relevant perspectives alongside parliamentarians assuming that their rights and interests are barriers to free speech or academic freedom could lead to a very depressing state of affairs where inequalities that are already baked into the system continue to be entrenched. One of the amendments that did in fact survive uh, last week related to the overseas funding of universities and colleges and other higher education providers. And this was the introduction of a new duty on the OFS to monitor that overseas funding uh, to assess the extent to which 
that funding presents a risk to either freedom of speech within the law or academic freedom uh, for academic staff at providers. And the idea is that governing bodies of registered providers will have to uh, provide the OFS with certain information, uh, information about what funding they're receiving from relevant overseas persons, which we'll come back to in a minute. And then the OFS can also ask for further information if it, if it wishes to do so. The types of funding that the uh, amendment will include cover include endowments, gifts and donations, research grants, research contracts, or indeed any other form of educational or commercial partnership. And the funding arrangements will be with either the governing body or members of the governing body of the provider, constituent institutions of the provider, or members of staff, as well as, of course, any that are entered into by the provider itself. The overseas persons that the uh, amendment targets are governments of overseas countries other than a prescribed country so there may well be a list where it's perfectly acceptable to enter into these arrangements without further scrutiny. Um, any body which is incorporated overseas or has its headquarters overseas other than again those in the uh, list of prescribed countries that don't require additional checks or any individual who is a politically exposed person in countries that aren't on that prescribed list. There will be a threshold figure for uh, the, the amount of funding that uh, requires registration with the OFS. But I think, again, this highlights, uh, first of all, the extent to which activities that have probably always been regarded as the autonomous choices of universities, which overseas um, uh, partners to enter into contracts with, are now becoming subject to government scrutiny and to regulation by the OFS. It also, in my view, raises concerns about exactly how the OFS is going to assess from the documents alone uh, whether or not there is a threat to freedom of speech or academic freedom, as very often uh, those things won't be written into the contract, but are some that are effectively um, risks that emerge through the ways of working uh, between the two providers. It's, uh, it'll be interesting to see how that particular amendment progresses and whether or not changes are made, because otherwise it could be a potentially quite onerous uh, obligation on some institutions who have a lot of such uh, relationships and, and funding um, entirely properly. The third issue that uh, emerged last week that I think is worth just reflecting on related to some developments around the position of the Director for Freedom of Speech and Academic Freedom. This post was advertised uh, in the Times Higher Education um, uh, Journal ahead of, obviously, the bill being passed. And the advertisement contains some interesting um, requirements. So in the essential criteria for the role, there was a section which said that one of the essential criteria was the ability to manage and bring about sector-wide change in relation to new or developing ministerial policies and priorities. And I think this calls into question uh, one of the, the risks that have been has been highlighted from the beginning of the debate around this piece of legislation, which is the degree to which decisions around what speech uh, constituted free speech and what speech should be uh, uh, not prioritised could become a political matter rather than a matter of law uh, or indeed uh, fair interpretation by an impartial um, arbiter. 
it was interesting also to note that it was only a desirable criterion that the new director of freedom of speech and academic freedom should have an understanding of the legal framework concerning freedom of speech and academic freedom, uh, including how it relates to other relevant legislation. I say that's interesting because it's really important to keep reminding ourselves that the definition of freedom of speech includes references to within the law. It seems to me almost impossible to make a judgment, therefore, on whether or not the duty to ensure freedom of speech within the law has been complied with, unless you have an understanding uh, of what the law says. And as I stated um, earlier in the in this podcast, uh, one of the assurances that the minister gave during the debate on uh, John Hay's amendment was that uh, the OFS would indeed ensure that institutions complied with the Equality Act as it's drafted rather than perhaps how it's misunderstood. How someone's going to do that without actually understanding uh, the legal framework, I, I, I struggle to see. Uh, even more alarmingly, during the debate on uh, the, the amendments to the Freedom of Speech Bill, the minister made the following comment. When asked by uh, Alicia Kearns, a Conservative MP, will the minister confirm that the Secretary of State will maintain the ability to direct the director to further inquiries should he have concerns about the OFS uh, not investigating an issue suitably, the minister replied, of course, we work hand in hand with the OFS. And if there were concerns, we would be able to direct. So it appears that the minister expects not only to be able to give general policy direction uh, to this uh, director, but also indeed to be able to direct on specific instances where freedom of speech is uh, is being uh, allegedly threatened. Uh, so I think there is a, a real question mark emerging about this role, about uh, who should hold it and what their rights and freedoms to, to operate independently of direction from the minister um, should be. So I think all in all, the uh, developments last week around the Higher Education Freedom of Speech Bill raised and reinforced some of the concerns that I think all of us have had uh, since its inception, uh, and including in particular the extent to which it is capable of being uh, influenced by essentially political choices. It will be very interesting to see what the House of Lords makes of it, and I'm sure it's a subject that we will return to in future podcasts. Thanks very much for listening. I hope you'll join us next time. And don't forget to hit the subscribe button uh, if you'd like to do that. And also, if you like what you've heard, please do leave a review. So until next time, it's goodbye from me. <laughs>